Random Inks Productions and the Credible Nerds present The Fourth Taviran, a Wheel of Time podcast. The Wheel of Time turns, and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. Let the dragon ride again on the winds of time. Welcome to the 4th Taviran, a Wheel of Time podcast from the Credible Nerds. This is episode 5. I'm covering chapters 21 to 26 from The Eye of the World, which is book 1 in the Wheel of Time epic fantasy series, written by Robert Jordan. My name is Justin, and as always, I have my co-host with me, Mark. Hey guys, how's it going? So we're back for episode 5. It's been a couple weeks since our last episode. But we got a lot of good stuff for you this time. We got some some of the latest news from the past few weeks that we want to cover first. So a couple weeks ago, Rafe Judkins, the showrunner for the Wheel of Time Amazon series, he tweeted out a photo of him and Brandon Sanderson, uh, who is one of the authors of the Wheel of Time. They were meeting at Wheel of Time headquarters. Uh, do we want to call that the Stone of Tear, or what do we want to call the Wheel of Time headquarters? here on our podcast they haven't really named it yeah no that would be kind of an interesting name right because uh you know the the stone of tear has to be breached before the dragon can proclaim himself right so i think that's kind of a a good parallel there yeah i was i thought about tarvalon but you know i said i they never tell the truth or they try to get around the truth i guess you could say so that wouldn't be good so stone of tear is what came to my mind mm-hmm so we'll go with Tower, that Tower of Midnight? <laughs> yeah, Tower <laughs> of Genji, is that what it's called? Oh, yeah, Tower of Genji. Yeah. Maybe we'll call it the Tower of Genji. We'll play with both of them and see what we like better. Hmm. Yeah, if you have a preference, let us know. Uh, Tower of Genji, Stone of Tear. Yeah. Maybe we'll tweet that out as, as a poll for this week. See what the Wheel of Time fans think. But anyway, back to Rafe Judkins meeting Brandon Sanderson at the headquarters, Stone of Tear. Uh, he says, hashtag WOT Wednesday, which is a thing every Wednesday, had to wait until Friday because I got to sit down with one of my favorite authors and fellow Salt Lake City native to pick his brain about the Wheel of Time. Truly one of those, is this my life moments that I'm so thankful to be having. Thanks, Brandon Sanderson, Rafe. And then at the same time, Brandon tweets out doing pitch meeting for hashtag dark one. And though time is tight, I managed to swing by the wheel of time television show writer's room. The dragon banner flies proudly here. That's WOT writer's room at rape Judkins at dragon mount from Brandon. And then they show a picture of Brandon and Rafe sitting on a couch with the dragon banner behind them. So what do you think of that? Brandon Sanderson being able to spend some time with the showrunner, Rafe? I think it's great uh, because besides Harriet and maybe one or two other people, I don't think anybody's actually looked and read all the notes from Robert Jordan, right? Yeah. And I bet that he's seen more of that than, uh, than about anybody. Um, obviously, he had to. 
So I think he's a great person to have drop by and have them pick his brain. Like, what do you think? Cause you know, they asked him like, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he gave some information and I think he has really good vision uh, about what um, Robert Jordan started and what he wanted. So I, uh, I'm excited about that. I really wish Brendan Sanderson had the time. I don't know. And the invite, I guess, just to, to do more <laughs> for it, you know, because he was such a, cornerstone in finishing the whole series i mean he he finished it off great i think pretty much everybody was happy with it uh without ended so i i think it was a great turn from the books before right you know we had you know winter's heart and but you know we had a couple books there that were kind of staling out and then it kind of seems like he turned the corner with it and really brought it back to life yeah he wrapped it up pretty good there were some minor variances but overall i mean that's probably the best we could get outside of Robert Jordan himself. And he's even, Brandon's even acknowledged that, but hey, it turned out great as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, any input he can provide on this television show, I think that's awesome. I think that's a great move. Hopefully he'll be more involved as time goes on. Even if it's just like Rafe picks up the phone and is like, hey, Brandon, what do you think about this? What, do you, what should we do here? As far as like characters and he has access to the note, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it'll be, it'll be good. The more he can get involved, I think the better. Yeah. And just want to point out, apparently Rafe Judkins is from Salt Lake city, which is where we're from, where we're at right now. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. We're practically related. Yeah. We're bros. <laughs> we're bros. <laughs> now maybe we can reach out to him and use that Salt Lake city connection to get a, an interview or get him on our podcast at some point. That'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, then a week or so after that, IGN reports that Rave Judkins confirmed Uda Bresowitz has been chosen to direct the first two episodes of the Wheel of Time TV show. So I don't remember you know, much about her, but apparently she's done quite a few television, sh- television shows, which are awesome. Looking at IMDb with her, she's done true uh, cinematographer, director. Oh, she did Altered Carbon. Yep, Altered Carbon. I, I like that show. I you probably oh she did Stranger Things too. Oh, Couple she's of, doing Stranger Things three. Yeah, episode five and six. Westworld, an episode there, which is a pretty good show from what I hear. Uh, two episodes of Jessica Jones. She did tr- some an ep- She did an episode in True Blood. The Defenders. She did Arthur. Is that the the one? Which Arthur is this? Better not be that cartoon. Oh, it's some <laughs> weird show that I don't really care about. But I'm sure someone does. Great. She did Arthur. I'm excited. So she has some, some good credit. Orange is the New Black. Four oh, she did there. some episodes in The Wire. And The Wire is generally considered one of the best TV shows for the 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. Episode of Lethal Weapon, which pretty good. I like that show. Iron Fists. I'm going to go back and watch these um, Netflix Defenders shows that she's done, or at least kind of refresh my memory on those. Because there were some that I'm like, oh, that was a good episode. And then the next one, you're like, yeah, it's not as good as the last one. So I'm wondering if she did any of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, take a look. Yeah, I might have to kind of resurrect some of these older you know, shows, you know, like True Blood and things like that, and look at the one she did and, and kind of get a feel for her. Yeah. So that's good news. Uh, the first two episodes 
are we covered this last time, but uh, to refresh your memory, if you forgot, the first one's called Shadows Waiting. Or no, that's the second one, sorry. First one's called Leave Taking, uh, which will deal with the first few chapters of Eye of the World, where Moraine shows up and finds the boys, the Trollocs attack, and they leave, hence Leave Taking. I think the chapter where they leave, they meet in the stable and leave. Emmonsfield, I think that's called Leave Taking. So go up to that point. And then Shadows Waiting is episode two. That's going to go up to Shadar Logoth. That's what Shadar Logoth is translated to, Shadows Waiting. So the first two episodes that she'll be directing. I think that's awesome. All right. Then on the, on the weird front, I guess you could say, <laughs> uh, February 9th was the fourth anniversary of Winter Dragon, which was the last minute short film put together by Red Eagle to re- try and retain the rights to Wheel of Time, which ended up not, not working. So, yeah, that was horrible too. Celebrate wonder, that anniversary and go watch <clears throat> that. It's on YouTube. <laughs> I wonder why they, uh, they tried to do that, you know, because it was obvious from the quality and what they were doing, they, they didn't really have a plan to do anything. Right. Right. And who knows if they could have ever done it. So it's like, why, why are you trying to hold that up? Hold on to that, you know, let somebody else's vision. I'm sure it was a money thing or whatever, you know, but it's kind of weird, you know, it's almost selfish. Yeah. Cause they didn't, they weren't developing scripts or a story or anything. Cause I remember on Twitter, I saw like the director. Um, that's a whole nother story, but the director, he, tweeted out that he wrote the script or the script was written and they filmed it in like a couple weeks. And he was like proud of, Hey, we did this in, I think it was 17 hours that they filmed it. (laughs) And, and then the crazy thing is like the next day or two days later, he gets in a car crash and dies. He's dead. It's just weird. The whole sequence was just weird, like strange, like murder mystery type stuff. Ishmael got spun out again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, four years from that, I think they, this started the push towards getting the rights away from Red Eagle and do something legitimate. Yeah, and they went to court for it, right? I remember there was like a court battle and Harriet was involved in all that. Yeah. Up to this point, this is the, the only live action footage we have from wheel of time so it deserves its place in history and actually i recorded some of the audio and i'm using it for the intro to our podcast (laughs) yes it's got got. zane zane in it right something billy zane billy zane he played uh ishmael yes and i watched it and there's actually some good things in it i mean it's totally cheesy and the production value is crap but there's some if you listen to the dialogue, I, I don't want to defend it, but I kind of am. But I was listening to it. I was like, huh, that's interesting that they put that in. Like there was the kids were playing the snake and foxes game. Like Ilyana says, time to roll the dice to one of the kids. And that's like a big deal in Matt's character, right? Roll the dice. It would have been cool if she would have said it in the old tongue, though. <laughs> yeah. Just to see that if the people caught on to what that was. Yeah. So there are these little nuggets in this short film, but overall it's, you watch it once and you're good. So, so here's a question for you. 
Okay. Should they bring Billy Zane back as a dark friend? <laughs> they need to. They need to do something that's totally only Wheel of Time fans would know. Like maybe he's, yeah, a dark friend that gets killed. Like right, right away, right? <laughs> <laughs> something funny like that where you're just like, no way. <laughs> that would be awesome. Like it's kind of like I'm going to look for that now just in case that they, they did that, you know? Yeah. And then we'll, we'll show that we talked about it in this day and that someone probably listened to it and tipped them off and they was right. Yeah. We want, we want some credit for that. <laughs> All right. So that's the latest Wheel of Time news. Have you heard anything in addition to that or any input on those, those things? No, last I heard, what, last I really saw about anything was the picture. Uh, like uh, we talked about, and I, I was pretty excited about that because I like Brandon, and I think it's a, a good thing. Yeah. All right. So uh, just to refresh our spoiler strategy, because um, it's still one of our first episodes, what we're talking uh, as we move into the next segment, we start talking about the chapters and reviewing them. We try to keep it pretty much spoiler-free. You know, minor spoilers may slip out here and there, time to time. But we try to keep it major spoiler-free. Then after the chapter reviews, we talk about something big in the Wheel of Time, like we've talked about the breaking of the world, I said I, the one power. So as we're talking about those major topics, we will be discussing spoilers at that point. But we'll let you know uh, when we get to that point. Just But just be aware. If you haven't read the series or you're halfway through the series, you might get spoiled in that third portion of our podcast. So first up, chapter 21, it's called Listen to the Wind. And this chapter icon is a staff with Nynaeve's point of view. Uh, Along the river Arenel is kind of where we're setting the the setting for this, this chapter. And the characters involved in this chapter are Moraine, Lan, and Nynaeve. And if you remember the last few chapters that we talked about in the last episode, um, the group fled Shadar Logoth, being chased by Trollocs and Mashadar, and the group got split up. And we read about Matt and Rand and Tom, how they jumped on that boat, uh, the spray, with Bell Doman. And then Perrin and Egwin swam across the Arenal and are kind of out there just hiding out. So this is the rest of the group, Moraine, Land, and Nynaeve. We got some interesting conversations between this group. So Nynaeve wakes up. She's trying to, she's by herself by the river. She's looking out for Trollocs and she's trying to find the rest of the group. But she ends up running into Moraine and Lan. She kind of sneaks up on them. But she sneaks up on them is kind of, stalking them a little bit, kind of see what they're talking about. But Moraine senses her and tells her to come out. And Lan is surprised that she's there. So Nynaeve's kind of like, ah, I snuck up on a warder. That's cool. So she's a little proud of herself. So they're talking about kind of what Moraine's plan is. What did she get them into? And they start talking. Moraine tells Nynaeve that she can wield the one power as well. She has access. She can touch the, the source for the one power. Um, so what do you think about that, Mark? Is, is it a little too convenient or I don't know. I didn't think it was 
I thought it was different. Like, oh, another person can touch the one power. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it was it worked out. But did you do you remember your initial thoughts on that? Uh, I thought it was cool how they explained it, right? Um, that you know, some people are born with it in them, and some people can learn it. And I like that idea because, uh, you know, it's always the idea that it's like, oh, uh, I'm special because I was born with this. So somehow I'm just a better person, you know, but I like it how it's kind of been like, yeah, people are born with it, but these people can learn it. And then, you know, uh, if you're not, you know, guided and taught certain things, then you have a chance that it can kill you. Right. You know, they talked to Nynaeve about that and how she probably went through some tragic uh, or, or event uh, that she survived and you know, basically her body adapted to this power uh, to accept it as opposed to fighting it and destroying her, right? I thought it was really neat about how they brought it all, especially because Nynaeve was so against the Aes Sedai, right? Wanted nothing to do with them. They're horrible. I hate Moraine. I hate, you know, uh, everything that you're doing to these kids. It, you know, it's your fault. And then here it comes that she is basically one of them that's learned to do it by herself. and now she's really like it's an eye opener to her and and i thought it was a a cool dynamic how she was so sure of herself and all all of a sudden now she's not sure so she becomes more stubborn right and that's exactly what she ends up fighting you know for like the next five books (laughs) (laughs) is the stubbornness that like she just can't accept it that like man this whole time i was this big jerk and here i am one of them yeah and it's interesting. I mean, she accuses Moraine of manipulating them and promising them things that's not going to happen. But yet, Nynaeve is the biggest bully of them all. I think Nynaeve is somewhat jealous that Moraine's able to do that just as well as she is. And so I think, because there's a lot of conflict between Nynaeve and Moraine throughout the rest of the story. Because they're both stubborn, well, they're both headstrong, and they both have their agendas that they want to be fulfilled but their agendas are different from each other. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting to see how both their stories kind of develop after this, but um, I, I, for me, it kind of brought uh, Nineveh alive, right? Because before it always seemed like she was really one dimensional, Yeah. Um, you know, my way or the highway. And then this kind of opened up a new uh, dynamic to her and allowed her story to expand in, in new ways, as opposed to just being this headstrong wisdom who's coming to get the kids back. I don't care about some stupid Trollocs that almost killed us all. I don't care about no Mashadar. I don't care about this. These kids are coming home. And, you know, it was just almost like so linear. It was annoying. And then now it's like, oh, wow, her story can go places. And, and it did, right? And I ended up becoming one of my favorite characters, like from one of my most hated characters to one of my more favorite characters. So I I think that it, it did a good thing. And and we kind of talked about it, right. That, that Nina Eve, probably the replacement for Daniel. Yeah. And I think it was a good replacement because it brought a lot, a lot to the story. Yep. And in this conversation that they have, Moraine tells Nina that she, with training, she could be the most powerful Aes Sedai ever or at least in hundreds of years. So that kind of rocks her world. <laughs> this is oh, so yeah. much that she, 
She tells yeah. Maureen, you know, don't tell anybody about this. Because she says like, oh yeah, like I was the most powerful one and Egwene's going to outstrip me and you will outstrip her by as much as she outstrips me. So now it's kind of a eye opener to like, oh crap, she's got something special, right? Yeah. Like she is special. She's not just like a wisdom. Yep. Yep. She's more than, more than that. So that's a good conversation. It's pretty close to how Maureen and Egwene had, had talked earlier a couple of chapters ago about her being able to use the power. So it was good. I liked it. They, she gets called a wilder. I don't know. Did we talk about that at all? No, so, so she gets called a wilder. Um, Maureen tells her that she's a, a wilder. And what a wilder is, is basically kind of what we said is, is a person that has learned a challenge to channel themselves without the proper training. And they talk more about this, I guess, in book two, right? When they get to the White Tower. And so we can talk more about it later, but it's basically frowned upon. Not a lot of sisters uh, in the White Tower accept Wilders uh, because they have this, they're so stuck in traditions, they just believe that you should be trained as opposed to learn yourself. So she'll deal with that later and, and you'll see how that works. But, you know, that's what a wilder means is, is just somebody that's learned to channel themselves and it's used as a derogatory statement. Yeah. So then they kind of, well, they decide that they need to move on and go track the boys because the dark one wants them and they need to, to help them. So it's revealed that she, Moraine gave the boys a token, which was those coins that she's able to track them but two of them have lost their coins so they should go find those two first and maureen knows that there's one of the other boys is across the river and she'll be able to track him later if it comes to it but for now they're going to go after the the two boys on that are heading south on the river so they take off to go track them and that's we know that's matt and Rand. Rand. So that's how that wraps up. We learned that Nynaeve can channel too, and she's going to be powerful. So pretty important stuff is revealed in this chapter. Chapter 22 called A Path Chosen. And the chapter icon is a tree, and the point of view is Perrin. And like I said earlier, Perrin and Egwene are across the other on the other side of the River Arenel than uh, Lan and Moraine and, and Nynaeve were. And in this uh, chapter, we got a parent and Egwene spending time. And this chapter is kind of, I don't know, not much happens. It's basically parent and Egwene meet up and they decide they're going to go um, towards Whitebridge in Camelin and meet up with the rest of the group. Bella's alive. Egwene is riding Bella. And I think parent's horse didn't make it, right? It's just, they just have Bella. Yeah, they just had Bell. I don't remember. He got thrown from his horse, right? He was riding towards it, and the horse stopped and kind of just dumped him in. Yeah, I think like, that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. so he's gone. Bella, Bella survives, obviously. Um, <laughs> Super horse. I, yeah, I think that uh, Bella is the only being in the entire world that could survive um, Bellfire. But, uh, <laughs> uh, she, so she makes it. I mean, makes it across the biggest river in the world, raging down the you know, rapids, and no problem. Well, Bella's one of the Forsaken, right? It's got to be. It's got to <laughs> be. The 14th one? 14th Forsaken. I don't know. Maybe a hero of the horn. Uh, <laughs> who knows? Yeah. 
So anyway, um, this chapter for me just kind of illustrates that Perrin and Egwene are good friends. There's no romantic interest there. Um, they're just friends. And this chapter reveals that, that they're, they have a fun time, even though there's this big crazy sequence or about, you know, the day before they're still able to relax and enjoy each other's company as they travel to meet up with the rest of the group. The, the gist of that chapter, pretty simple. Yeah, pretty simple chapter. Not going to lie, it's a little boring, but uh, just, you know, it's kind of setting up uh, some story for later. Yeah. Chapter 23, Wolf wolf Brother. Sorry, Wolf Brother. <laughs> um, chapter Icon as a Wolf, which ends up being a huge deal throughout the rest of this story. Point of view is Perrin. And again, they're in the wilderness traveling. Perrin and Egwene are. And we're introduced to a new character called... I call him Elias. Is that? Yep, Elias. Yeah, that's what I say. Yeah. So Elias, they come upon him. I think it's getting dark and they smell fire. And they see this guy around a fire and he's cooking rabbits. They go over there and it's Elias sitting there. He wears clothes, clothing made of furs. and we see that this guy, Elias Machera, has yellow eyes. They look like polished gold, golden eyes. So Perrin and Egwene show up to the fire. They ask if they can have some. Elias gives, shares his food with his cooked rabbits with them. And they talk about where, why they're there, where they're going, that sort of thing. And as they're doing that, these wolves show up by the fire. And noti- Perrin notices that. We learn that these wolves have names, Dapple, Hopper, Burn, and Wind. And we learn that Elias can talk to them. So we get our first introduction to a character who can talk to wolves. And I believe they're all called Wolf Brother, right? Yeah. Yep. They're known as Wolf Brothers. I think Elias talks a little bit about this, you know, with with Perrin kind of, you know, because he senses... Uh, what Perrin can do and just tells him like, Hey, look, you can talk to wolves too. And Perrin is just in unbelief, like no way, you know, you're talking crazy old man, you know, like what's wrong with you. And, you know, basically tells him like, look, talking to wolves is, is something like older than that. The Aes Sedai. Right. And uh, it, you know, it's existed since before the Aes Sedai existed. It'll continue to exist. It sounds like for forever. So, uh, you know, it kind of goes in the history of that. And it's kind of cool, too, like, as you, you know, kind of run the story, like, these names, Dapple, Hopper, Burn, and Wind, they're not as simple as just that, right? Right. Uh, Like, they're like, uh, I I don't even remember how he explains it, but it's like, it's more than just wind. It's like the wind on a a cold morning that's blowing through the blah, 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 blah. And it's pretty neat, you know, how it all works out. And uh, and it talks more about it, but really for Perrin, that this is kind of his paradigm shift, right? We saw that happen to Nynaeve, Nynaeve, and now we're seeing it happen to Perrin. Like, this moment defines his future. And I've always wondered, like, if this moment didn't happen, would Perrin still become the Perrin we know? Like, it was almost like it was waiting for this moment to happen. Yeah. To kind of jumpstart things. Because uh, he kind of senses, like he notices the wolves come. He senses it, even though he doesn't realize what he's sensing. He senses it, right? 
Yeah. And, uh, and so that's like the kind of the first thing. So it was always interesting to me because, you know, after this, he goes through some big changes and, and we'll talk about those as they come because it happens gradually probably over the next oh, three or four books. And then all of a sudden it just jumps right in. So we'll talk about this as it goes, but it, it's really neat for Perrin. Uh, he is a really one dimensional character for like so long, but, uh, uh, once, once he opens up, once, you know, he goes through the shift, it's really great. Yeah. And I, I was always intrigued by how this power, this gift was older than anything. And they didn't, they don't, because it's so old, I wanted to know more about it, but they never really explain it. And I don't know if, the, the knowledge has been lost or they just don't, there's only a couple of people that are able to do this. So they just don't know, but I always thought it was intriguing. And when you assume that, it, that it's, it's an ability from the first stage, right? Yeah. Because if it predates Aes Sedai, then you know, the first age was obviously, you know, whenever the wheel started, obviously there's no beginnings, no endings, but I mean, there's a beginning, you know, at some point. And at that moment, obviously I said, I, maybe people didn't know they had the power, but this power existed. So I, I would assume, I've always assumed that it started in the first age. Yeah. That's a safe assumption, I think. And I always, I always wondered I, when I reread it, we don't, Perrin doesn't have this ability till now right yeah hint of it beforehand is there no like you know there's never been anything he never says or mentions anything like oh he sent something or he saw something a little bit better you know any of that and all that will make sense later but (laughs) you know yeah that's why i've said like did this moment have to happen to jumpstart his you know what he becomes yeah so do you think aaron and elias coming in contact with each other or them, him coming in contact with the wolves that that like awaken it in in him, or, or we yeah, I would think I think that's what it is because Perrin lived in two rivers. Now, albeit it's, it wasn't huge, but it was big enough that I'm sure it warded off wolves, right? Like they weren't getting super close and coming in real close. And so I think this is probably one of his first times where he really was close to a wolf, and then the connection happens, and there you go, you know, it it kind of gets it going. And so that's, I mean, but I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe it would have happened anyways, but I think that this is one of those things where the the creator to some degree had a hand in it. Yeah. You know, like here's a Taveran, right? It's kind of like the whole Taveran thing, like where, you know, they can kind of shape things to, to their world, but in the end, the Taveran are spun out to correct things. And in order to correct things, their lives are pretty, you know, tightly controlled, like these things will happen to receive this ending. Right. And, you know, it's kind of like, well, you haven't had wolves in your life until now. So boom, here you go. Here's some wolves. Yeah. And we know the dangers of this in future books, there's explanations as to what happens if he can't control it. So, so this chapter is a pretty big deal with Perrin. Um, He basically learns his destiny, part of his destiny. And it changes everything for him. Connection with the wolves that he, he's starting to learn how to, how to use. And I think it's kind of interesting to note that uh, Perrin kind of goes through the same struggle as Nine Eve, right? Like as the book goes on, like they're, they're for sure two river folk, 
right? You know, yeah. you know how stubborn they are and they don't want to change. And these two go through books. And I, I mean books. <laughs> like it's not going to be something that's going to be next chapter. You'll be like, oh, now I get it. Books will go by and they continue to fight against like their destiny, right? And then all of a sudden it's like, fine, I'll do it. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> and so it, it is pretty interesting like to watch the two rivers folks go through their life altering changes to what they become because it's all the same story, right? They're so stubborn against it. And it's, uh, you know, they always talk about how stubborn two rivers people are. So it's, it's kind of fun that way, but sometimes it gets annoying. Uh, the Kaladin syndrome, you don't know what yeah. that is, but I know what it is. Yeah, I agree. All right. Chapter 24 flight down the RNL chapter icon is a harp point of view is Rand and we're aboard the boat the spray which is Beldoman's boat characters are rand matt tom Beldoman, and balsamon makes another appearance we're back on the spray with rand matt and tom uh this chapter starts off with rand's dreaming of balsamon again i don't know I'm, at this point i was kind of getting tired of that the whole because he kind of he said the same things over and over again the eye of the world won't serve you serve join me and serve the dark one you know it's just starting to get old mm-hmm. then he wakes up he's he's back on the boat i guess in the, in the dream that he was having he pricked his fingers on some thorns he wakes up his fingers are bleeding we kind of got that going on same thing happened with the rats back in the last dream uh, where they were actually killed. Well, it's interesting that, the, that those dreams are never fully explained, like how it happened and how Balsamon knew it's probably one of these three boys and here's these dreams and why they're all the same. And where do the dreams occur? Do they occur in a tell and Raya? Do they occur in a dream shard? You don't know what that is, but you will. Um, you know what I mean? Does it uh, occur in certain things? And And it's never explained, right? Rand asks him in the very last book, like, I, I never understood how you did that. And Balsamon just smiles it off. Yeah. Right? And so you never know quite how it is. But, yeah, I mean, it gets repetitive. You're like, okay, we get it. You're trying to kill – you're trying to hunt them down, and they can't serve the eye of the world, blah, blah, blah. And uh, But I always found it cool that, like, you know, kind of our first glimpse at Teller and Riyadh where, you know, dreams can have lasting consequences. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good and, point. So it's kind of something like, like this is like a foreshadow. You don't realize it is, and I don't think you realize it for another book or two, but you know, it's kind of a foreshadow to like the dangers of dreaming and that, uh, you know, things can get real. And, and so watch your dreams. No, I'm just kidding, but you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> kind of interesting. Yeah. So Rand and Matt learned from Tom takes them on as his apprentices to juggle and tumble and sing and play the harp and all that stuff. So he starts teaching them, which ends up helping them out later on throughout the story. As they're going by the sh- on the river, looking at the shore, it's kind of boring. Uh, Rand notices uh, this big tower of polished metal. It's like 200 feet high and there's no marks on it or there's no doors. You know, there's no way to get inside. And Matt says, oh, I bet there's treasure inside. So, uh, which is significant. We mentioned this because there's a whole book named after this tower, <laughs> book 12, I believe. And 
it's the Tower of Genji. And mm-hmm. we don't really get back to this for quite some time, but it's it, it's interesting that even in book one, the beginning chapters of book one, Robert Jordan knew he was going to use this tower. He put it in the story. Yeah, on purpose. And you actually talk about it a lot. You just don't realize you're talking about it. Yeah. Until like book 12. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, holy crap, right? Like, uh, it all makes sense. So um, it's pretty interesting. We're not going to give that up because you're going to read the whole book and you're going to wonder, oh, is this it? Is this it? When it happens, it'll be awesome. So, yeah. um, I think it's book 13, actually, just to be credible. Yeah. Yeah. It is my mistake. That was my mistake. So, um, yeah, important book. It just mentions it now. There'll be no consequences or anything for plenty of books, but um, keep, you know, don't forget about it. So they're on the boat for a couple more days. This part was weird, but whatever. Rand climbs on the mast of the, the ship. He's way up high, and he's just kind of up there watching the shore go by again. He about falls off, and he just laughs about it and swings down and jumps down off it and lands and he's having a good old time. <laughs> it was just, it was just like he was high or something, but he notices that Matt has a dagger, a curved dagger, the curved dagger with, you know, the Ruby hilt. So this is when we realized that Matt took something that he shouldn't have, that came from Shadar Logoth. And that Matt tells him, Hey, you can't tell anybody about this is our secret. And of course, right? Like, oh, you've told this uh, knife that uh, at this place, it's obviously certain, e- certain evil that killed all these people and Moraine told us not to and you don't want me to tell anybody? Yeah, I don't tell anybody. Gotcha. Okay, we'll keep it a secret. I'm your best friend. I yeah. will keep that secret. Yeah. But then we that, learn... That's a good friend. That's, those are friendship goals, people. If your yeah. friend does something that might kill him, you keep it secret. Yeah. So, we learn later on the reason why Rand is acting so strange is because it's a side effect of him channeling the one power. He's just doing a little bit here and there, but it still has this weird effect on him. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to note too that they talk about what Nynaeve went through. Nynaeve, how do you say it? Uh, I think it's pretty interesting to note that uh, the things that you know uh, Moiraine talked about Nynaeve went through, you start to see the parallels what Rand is going through. Right. Right. How it starts, you know, affecting him in different ways and things. So it was kind of like a good, good that we got that uh, foreshadowing because when I remember my first time reading it, as I was reading it, I kept thinking like, oh, this is the same thing she went through. And uh, so it kind of helped me understand why he was going through those things. Yeah. And I didn't pick up on it on the first read. I just thought it was weird. They also bring up the sea folk searching for their Coromor, which we'll learn about later on. There was mention of Heartstone, I believe. And something about a hollowed out mountain with a spire 100 spans high that kills anyone who goes within a mile. I don't think we ever visit that again, do we? Yeah, isn't that Shea Ghoul? It could be. Huh, I wonder. That's a good question. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. I mean, when you said that, that's what I thought of. But I don't think when I was reading, I really picked up on that. Yeah, I didn't either until rereads. Because I don't think we ever hear from it, hear about it. But it could be Sheogul. All right. So chapter 25, The Traveling People, which as I, as we do this review, this reread, it's amazing how much stuff has introduced in these first, up till now, 25 chapters. 
traveling people play a major role throughout the rest of this book or the rest of this series uh, directly and indirectly. So pay attention to these guys. Chapter icon is three leaves on a branch. Point of view is Perrin. And we are introduced to some new characters, but we got Perrin, Egwin, Elias again. Uh, then some some of the traveling people, Rain, Ela, and Aram. And again, Perrin and Egwin are now with Elias and they're out in the wilderness just traveling, trying to find their way back to Whitebridge with the rest, find the rest of their group. And the traveling people are also called Tuathan. And what they are is they follow this thing called the way of the leaf where there's no weapons, no violence or fighting. They got these brightly colored wagons that they travel around in and they sing and they dance. They're kind of like the, what do they remind me of the Russians? The Like the gypsies. Yeah. The gypsies. And I have no idea if that term is like offensive or not. Cause I've heard. <laughs> yeah. So if it is, we apologize. That's just what it makes me think of, right? Is like a gypsy, like the ultimate pacifist gypsy group. Yeah. Right. And and I only say that just because of like they're you know if you read the book and you under kind of understand them like they're just the way of life kind of seems like that you know what I mean. And not that I know any gypsies, not that I've actually seen how they live, but my general idea and thoughts from what they are because of movies and books and stuff that's what it matches. Yeah. So they meet up with these Tuathan and they start talking. They know Elias. They've met him before and they know his story. So they introduce Egwene and Perrin to them and invite them to stay the night to eat some food and relax. And Perrin and Egwene learn about the way of the leaf and what their, what their deal is. Up until now, the Tuathan are also nicknamed the Tinkers. And their their thing is that they will steal stuff. So you don't want to hang out with the tinkers or invite them over near your town because they'll steal the pots and make off with, I think it's children and all that stuff. Children. So kind of these weird stereotypes they have about them. So Egwene and Perrin are, are nervous about spending time with them. But as they spend time with them, they, they learn that they're nice people. They just want to have fun, relax. They don't want to hurt anybody. And they spend time talking about this way of the leaf and how the philosophical arguments, they're not hurting other people, not fighting other people. And they're like, well, what do you do if people attack? And they're like, well, we just, we don't fight back. They're a little put off by that. One of the things they do talk about that I think is important that the leader reign is that how you say rain? Rain? Yeah, I, I say rain like, you yeah. know, it's raining and stuff. Yeah. Rain tells them a story about a band of tinkers who were crossing the wastes, uh, which is, we'll learn about more later, but it's, it's like this desert. They're crossing the waste two years ago. And they encountered a group of maidens of the spear who are Aiel, a group of people called the Aiel. And they encountered these maidens of the spear who had gone into the blight, which is a different area we'll learn more about. It's the bad guys area, I guess you could say. And they came back and they were attacked by some Trollocs. And all the maidens, all this, these maidens were killed except for one who crawled to a tinker's wagon, gave them a message. The message was, 
Leaf blighter means to blind the eye of the world. He means to slay the great serpent, warn the people, sight burner comes, tell them to stand ready for he who comes with the dawn. And then she died. So we got this apocalyptic message from this group who tells the tinkers and the tinkers spread it through their, their group of people. And this was two years ago. And then they tell Egwene and Perrin about this. And they're like, what, <laughs> what does that mean? And I think us as readers the first time we're like, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Like whoopity doo. Yeah. Some crazy ladies given, you know, talking about hogwash, you know? Yeah. So, but it, it uh, definitely comes to fruition later on in the story. And it's important to remember, I think they bring it up a couple more times later on, but it's a good introduction to, to this topic. Then they start dancing and singing. Egwene dances with Aram, who's this, you know, the, the cute guy of the group. Perrin's a little jealous. He thinks Aram looks like Will Alcine from the Two Rivers. And then we get, I think this is the first time we get this reference, but Perrin thinks that Rand would know it to, about what happened between him and Egwene. Because I guess Egwene gave him a hug or something and said, oh, you're a nice boy. So Perrin's like, oh, Rand would know what to do. <laughs> these, these three idiots are like the guys that get the most chicks and then the most idiotic guys when it comes to chicks, right? Yeah. Like, it's so funny. Like, they're just like nonstop. Oh, yeah, they would know what to do. And it's apparent that none of them have any clue. None of them know what to do. (laughs) Yeah, like at all, right? I think they're just, you know, small village style where everyone's kind of like, oh, Rand will marry Egwene and Matt will marry whoever. And you know what I mean? Like it ends up being almost planned out for them, you know? So they don't actually have to put in any effort. And now they're in the real world and they're like, oh, effort? I I don't know what to do. Did, (laughs) Did she smile at me? Did that mean something? Yeah. It, when we made out, was that important? You know what I mean? Like, you're just like, come on, guys. Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's just kind of funny. Yeah. I think Matt picks up on it quick, the quickest as we go yeah. through the story. Yep, that's true. All right. So we're introduced to the Tuathan, the Tinkers. And we hear about the way of the leaf. And, oh, another big topic of discussion is that the Tuathuan are searching for the song, but they don't know what the song is about or really anything about it other than they need to find the song. Mm. That'll be revealed later on what that is, what that means anyway. Yeah, in about 13 books. <laughs> so, and they'll, they'll talk about that later on too. So you'll remember. Chapter 26, Whitebridge. So they finally make it to Whitebridge. Chapter icon is a harp, which usually stands for Tom and what you know, is going on with him. Point of view is Rand. We're on the, back on the spray with Bale Doman, Rand, Matt, Tom, and Florin Gelb, who is the, the watchman on the boat who wasn't watching, was sleeping when the Trollocs attacked. So he's, no one really likes him. So they, they come into White Bridge on the river. They make it there. They see the, the White Bridge. And it's this, I always pictured it as kind of like that arch in St. Louis where it's this huge structure, like this arc, more like it's more of a bridge, but pretty similar to that, that arch in St. Louis and it's white. 
So they're, they're marveling at that. It's a structure from the Age of Legends. They get off the boat. They go to a tavern called the Wayfarer's Rest. And the innkeeper there knows Tom. So he's kind of telling him the latest news. You hear about Loghain, the false dragon who can channel again. But he's been captured by the Aes Sedai. Uh, the hunt for the horn has been called. And all the hunters are meeting in Ilion. And Tom's thinking he wants to go to Ilion to be a part of that. Uh, to be a, a gleam in there for that whole experience. But then the innkeeper recognizes that um, there's two boys. And he remembers that Pat and Fane had been there in a murder all. They've been asking about these two boys. So he recognizes them. He kind of gets a little cold and distant, say, hey, I got to go. You guys need to leave. So the Rand and Matt and Tom, they come with a plan to sneak out and head to Camelin. And Tom tells them, okay, we're going to go to Camelin. We're going to meet up in an inn called the Queen's Blessing. And then he tells them the story about his nephew, Owen. And that's why he's helping them. I don't think we get much detail. Just that Rand reminds him of his nephew, Owen, right? Mm-hmm. So they're trying to sneak out and they're almost out. And a murder all comes up on him and attacks him. Tom tells the boys to run. And he stays behind to fight the murder all. And they just take off running. He gives them, Tom gives them his coat and his harp and his gear. And they take off running. They hear screams of pain. They hear flashes of light, or they see flashes of light. And then they think that. Tom was dead, was killed, or at least Matt does, Rand isn't sure. And that's the end of the chapter. Yeah, yeah, intense chapter, right? Yeah. Especially right there at the end, it kind of drew me in. And I was always so bummed, right? Because here's Tom, I like this character, they're building him up, and then he martyrs himself, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, you guys run, I got this. And, you know, everything we know about Midroll is they're just crazy scary, they're tough, you can't beat him, you just run, right? And, uh, I mean, you talk, I mean, we heard about him a little bit before and even Lan was chasing one of the midril around and couldn't kill it. And so, you know, you know, we know how tough they are. And then this old man staying behind and, and they just run. I mean, they don't even look back. They just go. Yeah. And it was, uh, really intense and, uh, um, kind of gets you excited about what's to come. Yeah. I always thought it was odd that it was like the middle of the day and a murderall just shows up because we always see him at dark or in the shadows. The murderall is in the middle of the day. He's going around asking people about the boys. I always thought they were like, who would talk to a murderall? They're servants of the dark one. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but in these, in these few chapters, murderall are just walking around asking about these boys. <laughs> I thought that was kind of strange, but. Yeah. Yeah. It was strange. Cause you don't really ever see that again, you yeah. know, to that degree. And so it's kind of, it is kind of strange that that happened, but I think too, we got to take into context where it happened. It's happening in Whitebridge, right? In these areas where people still think that Midroll and Trollocs are fairy tales, right? So it's kind of like the idea that if you were to actually see magic, you would convince yourself it wasn't so. So if you were actually to see like a midrow person come, you would know you were scared and like, oh my gosh, I couldn't see eyes, but there had to be eyes. And he was just a scary man. So it's like, I'm sure they they just end up convincing themselves of something different. Yeah, that's true. They don't know what these guys are. And so they just think they're the weird people or this intimidating person that's talking to them. Yeah. 
never thought of it that way. That's good. So yeah, that's the end of our chapter review up through chapter 26. So next episode, we'll find out what happens with Rand and Matt and we'll find out uh, where their adventures take them and if they make it to Camelin along with the rest of the group. So moving into this third part of our podcast, we will be talking about spoilers. So if you're trying to stay spoiler free, might want to skip this part to the end or or not. It's up to you. So we're going to be talking about Angrial, Terangrial, and Saangrial. We've heard those those terms mentioned. We're going to talk about what they are, what they do, and all that good stuff. So I think, did we talk about it briefly on our last episode? Or was it on a Facebook conversation where which is the most powerful and which yeah. the least powerful? And let's talk about that first. Okay. Yeah, we talked about it on uh, Justin and I are in a Facebook uh, group that talks about everything will of time. And that question came up. And the, even in that group, there was a lot of confusion about what's what. The way it works is Angrial and Sa Angrial are, they magnify the power. They actually make, they, they open the conduit to the power at a greater degree. Some at, at small degrees and some at huge degrees, right? Some can add just a little bit of power and some just open the door to however much you want and they don't have a buffer. And that's what they call it. That's kind of what they refer to as a buffer that, uh, that eventually stops you from using so much power that you'll kill yourself. And those ones, those the most powerful ones, those are known as the Sa Angrial. And we, I think one of the most, we get to really see the more powerful ones in the very last book, right? Um, like with the Vora's Sangrial and with uh, the one that Demon Dread was using, right? Yeah. Well, we also had the, the two statues and the keys. Yeah, the Choden Cal. Yeah. Yep. So, and those were like huge uh, from the Age of Legends um, that were never used in the War of Power. And it was probably good they weren't using the War of Power because they would have probably destroyed everything. Yeah. So, and they're so big and powerful that to use them, you actually have to have like an access key that allows you to access the Choden Cal. So, they're huge. Uh, I think they end up getting destroyed, right? Yeah, when Rand cleanses the the one power, the male half, Sidine. Oh, he, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, when he cleanses Sidine, he they kind of they just melt or they burn up or they they break, so he can't use them anymore. That's right. And then, so those are what Angrial and Saw Angrial are. They just allow access to more of the power. And then the the smaller versions, like the less powerful, would just be known as Angrial and so forth. Now, Turangrial are normal items that do something with the power, but don't actually allow you to access the power. Okay? So, uh, what that means would be like, um, they had Turangrial back in the Age of Legends that would allow your the water to warm and to take a shower. We call it plumbing, heated water, right? Yeah. But they water heater. Yeah, water heater. But they called them Turangrial, and it used the power at that degree to allow that to happen. Um, and they were usually created for a specific function. Yeah, yep, exactly. So you couldn't use this 
water heater to go and make your car run right so uh you know they were very specific i mean and they did everything right i think there's a bunch that are mentioned throughout the books anything from i don't know i couldn't even name i don't think all of them that appear throughout the book other than they just are around uh probably the most popular one is the uh the binding rod is that what they call it i think so uh, yeah, that's the rod that to the Isidich um, make the three O's on, and it's for that specific reason uh, that it exists. So um, the fox head medallion is another one. That's a Turangriel. Right. Um, dream ring. Oh yeah, the dream ring that um, Egwene gets before she can just start entering it uh, nearly daily. One of those arches that the Isidai go through th- for their testing. That's another one. The one in Rudian. That's another one. Uh, the the Adam um, are aren't those Tarangriels? Yeah. Yeah. So they, you know, there there's quite a few uh, that kind of go through um, that are very specific. But I mean, apparently back in the Age of Legends, they were just everywhere. So I'm sure you know, like through time, they always talk about, oh, they found a cache of Tarangriel, and the the. Uh, I said I came and took them back to the tower and they talk about it a little bit that there's so many that still haven't been tested and it's scary to test them because you never know what you're going to get. And for example, like the, uh, for the testing, right. When they first started using the, um, the arches, they used to do specific things to go through and sisters kept going missing and missing. And finally they just kind of dumbed it down to where they are now and they don't dare do anything else because they don't really know how to control it. So these, these exist, and but they're so far dated that uh, a lot of them aren't used anymore. Yeah. And those arches, only ice that I can use. They, they're activated by the one power. But then you got the dream ring, who, which anybody can use pretty much. So it kind of depends on what the, the, which Terran girl you're using, whether or not you need to use the power or not. But do you think that's true? I think, yeah. The only, the ice that I can use it. And the reason I ask is because Matt went into the. Oh, yeah. Rudian. Well, at least the one in the White Tower. At least mm-hmm. and no one else enters it except for the ice that I. I think, wasn't there people like ice that I on each corner that had to channel while they did that? Yeah. And that's kind of how they understood it. But I wonder if someone like. Like if Matt could go through that one too. And it is a different experience, right? Than what you get out of Rudian or the Stone of Tear. Yeah. So maybe that specific one you have to, but the Stone of Tear and the other one you don't. I don't know because um, Matt is like the only person that we see to go through it that can't channel because Perrin didn't go through them, right? No. Nope. The only other ones that did that we know about are Agavienda, Rand, Moraine. They can all channel. Yeah, I wonder why Rand or Perrin never went through. Well, the easiest answer, he just wasn't around when they were doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, another thing, too, is I wonder why none of the Forsaken tried to go through them. Like, it's almost like, oh, I know what's through that. <laughs> uh, I'm going to stay away from that junk. Yeah, could be. Oh yeah, interesting. Huh. So yeah, that that's really the difference and that there's a lot of different ones and there's some really cool Angriel Sangriel out there. Um Cal- Oh yeah, Calendor. And that's a that's male specific. Yeah. 
So like there are male or female specific Angreals and Sangreals. We see that, right? Vora's Sangreal that I talked about earlier is only used by women. And I think it Sarkarin or I don't remember what they call the one that Demon Dread had, but I think that one's kind of like the male version of Vora Sangreal. Yeah. And then they had like uh, Moraine's pendant that she could use to listen in. Was that just a trick or was it actually a like an Angreal or something? That's a good question. I wonder if it was a trick because I think I remember her talking about it, right? And she's like, very few people remember my tr- the trick, you know? Yeah, I think that was just something she used to focus. But then, but, uh, what's her name? Cadswain had some in her hair. Yeah, and she gives them to Nynaeve, right, later? And then, uh, what's that one? Is it Far Matting that has that one that basically makes it so no one can channel? Yeah, yeah, that one was pretty cool. I like that concept. Uh-huh. So th- th- that's one too, and just pretty interesting. And it's like you know that one was specifically created during the breaking. Yeah, so a lot of cool stuff with that. Uh, they all have their different purposes. I I wish that they, some of them could have been better defined because it is kind of cool that oh there's this mystery, but at the same time it'd be nice to know what they're what they were created for and what you can use them for. I think that'd be cool to know too. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know that they're going to start being created again, too, at the end of the book, because Alvienda can sense them and can make, you know, and I think it's Elaine that can make them and, yeah. and stuff like that. And and uh, uh, who is it? Perrin can make power rots weapons and stuff like that, which is weird, but. Cool, though. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there's some cool things. And uh, I mean, we get to see them used uh, left and right. All, like all the time, really, right? Because uh, Rand finds that the fat man yeah, one, the he, yeah, the Buddha guy, and he like uses it forever. The, Just, the dream ring is always being used for the first few books. Yeah, so you see him everywhere. Like they're just around, and and so it's pretty cool to see what they do, especially Kalendor at the end, right? I still don't quite one hundred percent understand everything with that, but yeah. it's pretty neat how. Uh, you know, what it does and what it was for. Yeah. Some good stuff. It was a, it adds a good dimension to the story. It's not just one power being used, but you have all these uh, objects that you can use to increase your power or direct your power a certain way or what have you. So I think it's a good good thing to add to the story. Mm-hmm. Objects. All right. So that's Angrial, Terangrial, and Sangrial. If you have any additional thoughts or anything to add to these three things let us know join us on our social media pages Um, we're on facebook instagram twitter Uh, just search for credible nerds will pop up and join us and join in on the conversation let us know what you think about these power rot objects or objects that can use the one power so and also about our chapter reviews let us know what you think what's your favorite chapter uh, what do you think about Tom fighting Murdral's and El Domin and his ship? You know, whatever. It's about the Tuathwan, let us know. We're interested in having conversations about these cool things. So uh, also join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash thecrediblenerds. Support us there. We have exclusive content that you only find there on Patreon. You can find our podcast on anchor.fm on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, 
your favorite podcast app, basically just do a search for Credible Nerds and you'll find us. This is the fifth episode of our Wheel of Time review. We want to thank you for joining us here and may you find water and shade. We'll see you guys. Aganor or uh, Grendel is who I put would win. Um, mm. But that's what I think. But in reality, and I did that because I took out Demon Dread, but in reality, I think it's probably Demon Dread or Ravine would win. I don't know. Ravine got taken out. But he got taken out like, with Bellfire, right? And he wasn't like even paying attention to her. But he defeated uh, Rand pretty hands down, right? Yeah, that's true. In a sword fight. Yeah. And he was generally considered one of the best. Like he defeated um, uh, uh, Luz Theron Telamon when Luz Theron Telamon had, you know, was, been alive a couple hundred years and things like that. Like he had beat him in one to one and he was the champion. And I think, you know, once you go into like this big fight w- between all the um, uh, Forsaken, that the winner, it would really come down to things like that, like sword fighting and backstabbing and things, because they're all going to counter each other. They've yeah. known each other for so long, they're going to counter each other. Like Grendel, I don't think can do anything really, because everyone knows her little trick. Yeah. Uh, fascinating, you know. Uh, same thing with Lanfear, right? Everyone knows what she's going to do. Um, you know, so I really think it's going to come down to like uh, the sword fighting and the tricks, you know, of the trade and things like that. And when I look at it as a whole, sword fighting is really what it comes to. And so I think that, you know, definitely Demon Dread will be in there, but I think Ravine can beat him. Yeah. Well, Demon Dread is a pretty good sword fighter. Yeah. No, he was. Uh, I just kind of go off like from what I've heard was that, you know, he was the world, like uh, Ravine was the champion, right? At his, during his era. Now, but I don't know if Ravine actually his era was Demon Dread's era because the Age of Legends lasted so long. It wasn't just like a 50 year period, right? It was over like hundreds and hundreds of years. And throughout those hundreds and hundreds of years, the Forsaken slowly moved over. So Ravine being world champion might be a different time when Demon Dread was like one of the best in a champion. Mm Mm-hmm. So was Aganor, he wasn't a sword fighter, right? He's a scientist guy. Yeah, he was right. a scientist guy. And I talked about this in one of those posts because they were like, oh, you know, what, you know, what's the world going to be like? I don't remember the exact question, but, uh, you know, I basically came back and said, you know, evil will still exist. Look at Aganor. Aganor was, you know, experimenting on humans before the Dark One was ever released. And, you know, so like, it's not that evil doesn't exist. He just kind of... Um, magnifies that evil and then focuses it on something specific. Mm, yeah. So, 
Oh, yeah. Agonor, that's why I say it's like, well, it's just one-on-one, definitely not Agonor. But if you use what you, you bring to the table, then, you know, Agonor is going to bring all his, you know, his stuff. I don't know, but that, that's kind of an interesting question. I, I think it'd be hard to really know, uh, but definitely not Asmodian. But I was surprised when Demon Dread was fighting uh, Lan, right, that Demon Dread immediately thought it was Asmodian. So I'm like, huh, have we been... Uh, short selling Asmodian this whole time. Like maybe he was a lot more dangerous than we thought he was. But, I think he was. Cause right? he, was always under, he was always shielded the whole time we knew about him and read about him with Rand and their interaction. He was always shielded and couldn't do anything. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that he was kind of fearful that uh, he really was loose there in Telamon. And I think that Asmodian is like the Mogadine of the men, right? He yeah. kind of waits for his moment. Right. Uh, he's powerful in his own right, but he just, he waits for a sure victory. But for Demon Dread to be like, like here's Lan, like this most amazing fighter and like Demon Dread's actually has to try really, really hard against him. And he immediately thinks, is this Asmodian? Yeah, I think, I think we are underestimating like him, like you said, but I don't think they ever figured out what happened to him. Because there were some conversations like, whatever happened to him, what, where did Asmodian go? Maybe he's yeah. like, oh, here he is. This is him. Because he never knew what happened, how he died. Yeah. Well, because Grendel killed him. Right. But uh, it never says how. You never see a body. Um, and I'm sure maybe that they thought he died, but maybe he was thinking like he could have been resurrected. Yeah. Like the others were. Yeah, right. Exactly. And I always wondered why he wasn't resurrected. And I wonder if it had something to do with when Rand severed that black cord or whatever you know yeah maybe well i think he did that to agonor too though oh yeah one of those two bartholomew there was two of them at the end of book one agonor and bartholo whatever his name is yeah bathamel i can't remember his name yeah yeah he did that to one of them maybe agonor is the one that moraine killed and that's why he could be resurrected well, aren't they both? Re- they're both resurrected, right? Is Erengar and Osengar? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. Oh, that's right, though. You're right. Uh, one of them was killed for something through something like that. And then uh, Namaste? No, Namaste? What's, what's that guy's name? The big green man? Oh. Uh, he, like, yeah. killed the other one. Yeah. Hmm. But, yeah. I, I wonder. Like, I think, like, uh, he, he is underestimated and... So maybe he's, you know, he would hold his own. But I think in the end, I do put my money on Ravine winning. In a fair fight without Belfire? Yeah, because doesn't Ravine, he gets killed. Um, yeah, he gets killed by Belfire, by um, Moiraine, right? From behind while he's fighting Rand. So was Ravine the one in Camelon? The same time Asmodian dies, that book? Yeah. Okay. I think was it. Wait, Knight? wait. That's the male, isn't it? No, he was. Wasn't he in Ilian? Who was in Ilian? In book seven. Let's look. I'm looking right now. <laughs> uh, I thought Nynaeve Bill fired him. Might be, yeah. So um, Ravine ends up being Lord Gabriel in Andor. Right. Okay. And let's see where he dies. 
demise. However, blah, blah, blah. Ravine killed Asmodian. Oh, that's right. Remember, he killed Asmodian, Evienda, and Matt, and then Rand used Bellfire on him and then brought them back to life. So who, who was he fighting at the end? Oh, no, you're right. Nineveh Amira managed to, it says Nineveh, however you say her dumb name, managed to sneak up on him and nearly incinerate him through Mogadine, who was controlled by an atom. By a what? And the the Adam, oh, Adam, yeah. Adam, how do you say it, Adam? Don't make fun of me, people. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you're recording this, but this, and then it says this distraction allowed Rand to recover and obliterate him with Bellfire. So Rand did kill him with Bellfire. Okay. But he had he had uh, defeated Rand up to that point, like easily too. Yeah. Yep. I'm remembering now. I only read it like two months ago. Gosh, come on, man. <laughs> Like you read them so fast, you start to forget. I know. 